our series entitled God Is, we find ourselves inundated with prayers, scripture readings, anthems, hymns, and a call to worship centered around the creation of the world. And as always, the theme of the sermon is integrated throughout the entirety of the worship experience so that we become ingratiated in the narrative picture that God is painting during our communal hour together. We're fascinated by creation, are we not? And even more, fascinated by the God who does the creating. Our anthem, this musical selection, Psalm 8, helps illustrate within our soul this idea of chaos to order from nothing to beauty. Our call to worship and litany focused on the creator God, the, the hymns we sang and the prayer on the front of your bulletin, all in line with this theme of creation. And so our sermon this morning centers on the subject of creation. And from our Genesis readings, we are offered a very vivid picture of our God who is our maker. We pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. There are certain people we meet in life that transcend the word friend. They become as close, if not closer, than family members. It did not take long for Charles Walters to become a close friend or even one of my best friends. I was a junior in high school visiting my future alma mater, Huntington College, and my sister was a sophomore at Huntington. And although she graduated three years before me, I would like to make a note that I chose to go to Huntington first. She just got there before I did. Being male, I was not allowed to stay with my sister in her dorm room, so she asked her friend Charles if I might stay with him. He graciously said yes, and on Friday night, we were hanging out in his dorm room, and I experienced my first collegiate jam session. Being still somewhat of a novice with my guitar skills, I did not hold water to the virtuosos who I found myself cramped into a 10-foot by 20-foot cinder block dorm room with. They were switching instruments and jumping into verses and choruses without sheet music or guitar chords, and I was simply amazed. As the music was passed around the room, one person would begin a song and everybody would jump in with their respective instrumentals or vocal positions and parts. And then Charles handed me the guitar and he said, what you got? Terrified and not wanting to come across as the nerdy high school kid incapable of joining the fray, I began playing one of the few songs I had committed to memory. It was 3 a.m. by Matchbox 20. The chords were as basic as it gets, G, C, and D. And there's a four-note riff that I was very proud of that went into each of the verses. Charles and the rest of the guys picked it up very quickly. And though the song was rudimentary, Charles and his collegiate cohort made me feel like I was Rob Thomas frontlining for Matchbox 20 at our headlining gig. I had full affirmation in that moment that I was going to Huntingdon and that Charles was going to be my best friend. I did not ask him how he felt about this matter, for I had already decided it was true. Thankfully, though, when I got to Huntington, all went according to plan. Even though Charles was a senior, he'd never thought himself too cool to hang out with me, a freshman. We became friends, playing music together, disc golf on the green. We worked out together. I remember one night, Charles was pretty upset that there was a girl he was interested in who did not seem to reciprocate his feelings, and so he had some pent-up anxiety. And so we went to our 24-hour fitness center at 11 o'clock at night. I'm no longer in college, and I think that is a crazy idea. 
I don't think I'll ever work out again at 11 o'clock at night. But Charles and I did because we were just that close. One time, Charles came to visit me during the 2008 jurisdictional conference for which I was a delegate. And on our off day, we decided to go hiking around North Carolina. A few weeks prior to this, we went hiking on the beginnings of the Appalachian Trail, and we found that it was a lot more fun to get off the beaten path and follow the way of the mountain through the streams and the rivers and just be in the water and try to climb over things. And so we decided to do that again on this occasion. Only we left our shoes at the base of the mountain, and by the time we ascended to the peak, we decided to be safer to come back down the trail, only to learn that the trail was paved with sharp white gravel, for which we had to walk downhill four miles barefooted to get back to the bottom. We said we'd never do anything silly like that again, but of course, as friends do, we've done plenty of silly stuff since. I tell you these stories about my friend Charles for two reasons. The first is because Charles Walters was the reason that I understand chapter one of Genesis in a whole different light. You see, Charles is an extremely interesting person. He grew up on a farm in Linden, Alabama. He is amazingly strong, but in an unassuming way. He was never the person to consider himself better than anyone else, but acted with humility, though he was very bright. On our camping trips and on our times visiting his farm in Linden, I learned a lot about farming and the earth and creation from Charles, and he was truly one of the smartest people I know. He graduated from Huntington with a political science degree and agonized between a decision to begin a career with a job offer at the FBI or follow a calling to seminary that he was feeling. He chose the latter. So this rural farmer's son moved to Montgomery majored in political science, received a scholarship to go to Duke University for graduate school. And when he graduated with a master's degree in divinity, he decided to go be a farmer. When I talked to my late grandmother about Charles and his decision to go to graduate school and then become a farmer, she thought it made no sense that he had lost his mind. And when you think of it, it really is kind of surprising, is it not? Why would you go through seven years of higher education only to do the thing you were doing before you left and that you could have been doing the whole time? It makes sense, though, when you understand what Charles learned about the Bible. See, Frederick Schleiermacher says that faith is an awareness of awareness. My seminary professor, David Piccini, said it like this. For Schleiermacher, faith is a sense and taste of the infinite. That's a sense of awareness that where it was, one already stood, though it took work to discover you were already in this place. As if a truth you've known your whole life doesn't become true until you've done something to realize it is true. When Charles was in seminary, he learned how to read the Genesis creation account in the way that the Israelites read it. He discovered in the text this thread that resonated with him as being deeply true his entire life. He learned something that he knew to be true all along, even if he didn't realize it was true. He informed me that if you look closely at the Genesis 1 passage, God is not the sole actor in the business of creating. Instead, it is God who initiates creation and then invites the creation to participate in the act of creating. Listen closely again to verses 11 and 12. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation planting, yielding seeds, and fruit trees of every kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, planting, yielding seeds of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with seed in it. God created the earth, but then God invited the earth to put forth vegetation. 
And verse 12 doesn't say that God made every plant and every tree, but that God invited the creation to participate in the creating acts. When he discovered this deep truth buried in the scripture, Charles realized that he had known God in a real way his entire life. Charles was even an active participant in divine work without ever even knowing it. Or maybe he knew it, but did not know that he knew it until he journeyed to discover that truth for himself. He realized that God is not only the maker of all things, but also offering an invitation to creation. God is in full reign and dominion over all things, but did not want to create alone. Instead, he beckons the creation to participate in the creative process. So just as praying and fasting and worship are all activities we see as collaborations with the divine, so too is digging in the dirt, planting in the soil. You did not know for all of those of you with green thumbs that you were participating in an act of worship when you dig in your gardens, when you plant in your yards. If you're available, we'd love to have you come by our house. Shortly after Charles graduated seminary, he opened an organic farm in Millbrook, Alabama, where he produces and gro- where he grows produce and raises chickens, pigs, and cows in the most sustainable and responsible ways that he can, because he saw in Genesis this invitation to participate in creation, and then this thread that carried throughout the Bible that God cares for all of creation. And so Charles is not unique in his discovery, and you don't have to go to seminary to learn this, he just happened to. I believe there's actually people in our church who have found this same thread in the scripture. They looked at Genesis and saw that the earth is good and that when we are connected to creation, we are connected to God who is our maker. If you parked across the street, catty corner to the sanctuary here, you'll notice that our brother William Terry and a group of people saw in the scriptures this deep truth to care for the earth and decided that our church needed to embody this precedent. I think the garden across the street, our community garden that William and his cohort sustain, is one of the most biblical practices I've seen since moving to Dauphin Way. There's something divinely connectional about being part of creation that happens when we get down on our hands and knees and dig in the dirt. And ironically, this just happens to be the day that there would be a mom insert in your bulletin. I promise we didn't plan it this way. This wasn't part of the pitch to get you to buy moms. It just happened. But that William is selling moms on behalf of the community garden to be able to help raise funds to sustain the garden. And so if you'd like to participate in creation, that is another way of doing that. But I told you there's two reasons why I included Charles as my main illustration for today's sermon. The first is that he taught me to see a thread about how God is our creator and invites us to participate in creation. The other is to illustrate the nature of understanding a story, and in particular, the story of creation as it's told in the Bible. I told you a lot about Charles, and I did that intentionally. I do not normally dwell so long on a non-biblical character during our sermons so as to not draw away from the text, but today I provided a great deal of detail about Charles and mine relationship in order to invite you into the narrative of our friendship. So you would feel part of the experiences. I believe as humans, we feel more connected to people when we hear their stories. You see, I only told you half of our story though. I left out a very crucial detail. The truth is, you see, Charles was not the only person to go to Duke Divinity School the year he graduated from Huntington. Another of his Huntington classmates went to Duke Divinity School as well. And this was the same person who his heart was pining for in anguish the night I told you we went to the gym to blow off steam at 11 o'clock. 
And it turned out all right for Charles in regards to this girl because once he got to Duke and the Divinity School, they fell in love and began dating. And they, by the time their third year began, they were married. And this girl just happens to turn out to be my sister. And my friend, who was as close as a brother, became my actual brother. And our friendship has taken on a much deeper meaning over the past eight years. But I wonder, if I had started the beginning of my sermon with the fact that Charles is my brother-in-law, would it have changed the ways in which we perceived the illustration itself? Would the nature of our friendship feel more artificial or obligatory because of previous connotations or connections you have with the term brother-in-law? Or maybe your own experiences with your in-laws, parents-in-law, brother, sister-in-law. Sometimes a key bit of information can change the entire way we perceive a story. This is the same thing that happens when we read creation in Genesis. We often miss half of the story. We are unaware of a very important detail that is going on in the text that describes a fuller nature of who God is as our maker. You see, we read this morning from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And if we look closely at the text, we discover that these are in fact not one story told from a single perspective about how Israel understood creation, but rather two very different accounts that were written nearly 500 years apart. Genesis 1 was recorded by the priestly source around the 5th century BCE, and Genesis 2 is actually much older, written around the 9th or 10th century BCE, Mark. But the stories were later brought together when the Bible was put forth by ancient Jewish rabbis in the early Hebrew Bibles, and they thought it important to include both stories because together they describe a more fuller picture of who God is. In the Genesis 1 passage, God creates from afar and calls down orders to creation from somewhere else in a seven-day period. The Genesis 2 account begins at verse 4 and does not refer to seven days, but instead it says, the day the Lord created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 is all about God who orders chaos and is this cosmic sovereign. Genesis 2 is an anthropomorphic God figure who is walking amongst the creation and actually breathes life into the dirt. Breathes life into it. He picks up the dirt. Adam, the first man, Adam of the earth, dirt man, if you will. God breathes into his nostrils. Both of these pictures are necessary for full Judeo-Christian perspective of who God is and how God is our maker. The fact that I left out a detail about Charles being my brother-in-law changed the way we understood the story. And I fear if we leave out the fact that there are two beautiful accounts of creation in Genesis, then we miss half of the story of what God is doing and what God did in creating the earth. And so if we want to truly know more of who God is then I invite you to continue diving into the scriptures, trusting in our tradition, reason, and experience in the great Wesleyan quadrilateral tradition that we have so that we can see the whole story of who God is as our maker, the God who orders chaos, who calls out to creation and invites creation to participate in creating, the God who walks among us, and the God who breathes life into us. As we are about to hear from our core response to the word, let me leave you with Catherine Cameron's opening verse to God who stretched the spangled heavens. Let us go from this place knowing God is our maker who stretched the spangled heavens infinite in time and place, flung the sun in burning radiance through the silent fields of space, 
your children in your likeness, share inventive powers with you. God creator, still creating. Show us what we yet may do. Let it be so. Amen.